the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. As um, Nick has already said, we are starting the series proper on um, prison prayers. Um, And there are four prayers written by the Apostle Paul. We find them in the New uh, Testament and they were written during times of his imprisonment. And these prayers over this series uh, touch on a number of different areas of our communal and personal faith lives. Enduring faith, enlightened heart, strengthening power, and this evening, abounding love. Now, this uh, series is ideal for this summer season, because uh, if you're like me, dipping in and out, coming and going, each prayer and each talk stands on its own two feet. So you can hopefully run with what I say today, and, and that will stand you um, in, in good stead, some things to consider. Um, but if you're in the privileged position of being here for uh, the, the whole stretch of the summer, can I invite you to keep an eye out for what God might be weaving through the talks, perhaps unbeknownst to the speakers, but for yours for the taking. See what God might be saying through the whole as well as each individual talk. Now, we are going to be looking today at the topic of love, and love and indeed hate are powerful things. Now, I need you just to be braced um, for the things that might be coming onto the screen in a moment. They will, hopefully by design, uh, bring some feelings of love or hate, um, probably the latter, um, but you will see what I mean. So the first one is... Marmite. Love it or hate it. Love it or hate it. Who, um, this is the only one we'll do a bit of a straw poll. Um, you'll see why we won't do it with the others in a moment. Who, who loves Marmite? Oh, who hates Marmite? Oh, we're in the minority. Well, we're obviously the chosen ones with the higher palate. Uh, so, so we can see how the, the Marmite company are really leaning into the idea of some people hate it. So if you love it, you're, you're, you're all right. So the next one's probably a bit more controversial. Piers Morgan, um, very much leaning into the fact that uh, people hate him and actually probably buying into the fact that because some people hate him, that's why other people love him. And uh, I think the same could be said for the next person, to an even greater degree of um, Mr. Trump. Um, I will quickly move, move on from him. Um, but the, my, my reason for kind of uh, showing both in um, the media, in kind of our culture, even the food we eat, in our politics, is becoming characteristic to be defined by hate, being kind of polarizing and loving hate. But today we're going to be talking about love. And I think it's important for us to be talking about love because I don't think that in our society, in our world today, um, it's the default setting for a lot of people. I think we are very quick to um, perhaps not hate, but certainly not love. Love draws people together. Hate 
as we are seeing in our society, divides people, pits them against each other. We are, as a people, hating more and more and loving much more narrowly. So we're gonna, I'm going to quickly read our passage again, um, which is Philippians 1, 9 to 11. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Philippians is primarily a letter of encouragement. Paul is writing to the Christians, as Nick says in this Roman colony of Philippi, to encourage them, to, for them to persevere in their faith, to grow in their faith, but also to pursue their gospel mission, to proclaim what Jesus has done for them and draw more people into the family of God. Now, this literally is just three verses. So we uh, need to remember that this is part of a wider message that Paul is sharing. I'm going to share a couple uh, of verses also from chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. In all my prayers for you, again, it's about prayer. I always pray with, pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So again, emphasising this idea of growing in our faith, growing in our love and discipleship of Jesus, but also pursuing our gospel mission. That is the goal that Paul's got in mind, and that is the goal which I think we need to keep in mind as we talk about love. Love is, it can be, if you think of some like the greetings cards idea of love, this airy, fluffy, kind of nebulous thing but actually Paul is saying that love is a vital part of almost the strategy of our kind of blueprint for how we are to live as his people so it is something that we need to get our heads around and I'm hoping that today um, I'll be broadening what we might understand or what we can do with our love and hopefully give some examples that we might be able to to apply Now let's turn our attention again to this prayer. What's it actually saying? Because I think we can jumble the words and slightly lose the meaning. So it begins, uh, it begins, um, that our love may abound, may thrive in knowledge and depth of insight. Love is, is not simply a feeling or an emotion. It's not just a kind of a heart thing. It engages our minds as much as anything else. Our love is to abound more and more. It's going to thrive when we engage our brains, when we think about things, when we are proactive in our thoughts. This reminds me of Matthew uh, 22, verse, uh, verses 37-39. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. This idea of love is something that engages every part of us. And when we engage love in this deep way, this from the deep parts of us, from our minds, it does this so that so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
it's only by engaging with this deep level love of others that we will discern what's best. It's only by this deep love of others that we can be right before Christ. And we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We'll only be able to have this um, the love that bounds in knowledge we will only be able to discern what is best because we are filled with the Spirit of Christ working in and through us. To the glory and praise of not us, not even the people that we're loving, but of God. This love, sure, it will benefit us, but it's to the praise and glory of God. It's to glorify him. That is the purpose of it. Now this, is a bit of a chain reaction. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. If we work backwards, the praise of God happens because we are standing before Christ um, in righteousness, derived from discernment and blamelessness. And that's because our love has abounded in knowledge and depth of insight. Love, the foundation of this prayer and this message, is going to be our focus tonight. And this chapter is, uh, this whole book is from Paul to his brothers and sisters in faith in the Philippian church. So when he talks about uh, love, because I think he's talking about love between Christians as much as anything else. And of course, this love is a love which echoes the love of God. And yet it's, of course, a love which overflows and spills out into our communities, into our families. But I think that the, the primary love that he's talking about here is the one that we have for one another. So throughout this time, can I encourage you to be thinking, is my love abounding? Is my love thriving? We're going to be thinking about how we can love in our homes and in our lives, in our kind of personal, private lives, how we can be using those as a vehicle to love others. We're then going to look a little bit wider, how we as a whole church, as, a, as Belmont, as a community uh, here expressed in Exeter, how we can abound in love as a church community. And then we're going to consider how we can love and abound in love and knowledge and insight beyond this particular church. In other words, for a bit of shorthand, it's the me, it's the we, and it's the us and them. So, beginning with me and you. Let's start close to home. Frankly, most of us don't spend all that much time in this building or even in this group of people, however uh, your home group might be or the people you serve with or your friends you have at Belmont, we spend most of our waking hours within our families, on our front lines, in our workplaces, in our local communities, whatever our personal lives, our private lives might look like. This is also the thing that we've got the most control over. It's the thing that we have the most kind of agency over that we can direct or not direct in the course of love. And I think it's here that we have the most opportunity to love. Have you ever thought about 
that, that you might not have much say over what happens here in this church or in this city or this country, but over your own life, you have a fair amount of say. Have you ever considered, are you loving with all of the assets you've got at your disposal, your time, your home? Are you lo- have you thought about it in that way, that it's a resource at your disposal? Now, the Bible says plenty on the relationships that we have, the different kinds of relationships that we have, the way they're meant to exhibit between husbands and wives, between children and parents, between neighbour and neighbour, between friend and friend. And the thing that characterises each of these is love. And of course, when marriages and parental relationships and friendships when they're lived out faithfully in line with God's vision for those different relationships, with generosity, with selflessness, with sacrifice, with an enormous amount of love, there is, of course, enormous blessing for those involved. I'm sure you've, you know that when you're in a really loving relationship, whatever kind of relationship that is, that that feels good, that that is a sense of security, and you get a lot from it. But can I suggest that those good relationships that we've got in our lives, whatever kind they might be, they're not just for our benefit. I'm in um, that stage of life when I go to a fair amount of weddings. Um, In the next few weeks, the next four weeks or so, I've got four weddings across several several countries. and, and it's really exciting because it is the, the beginning, the formal beginning of um, people's lives together. Now, often in, in marriage services, it is, uh, particularly in, in the Church of England, it's, it's often said that marriage enriches society and strengthens community. Marriage, the relationship between a man and a woman, two people, enriches society and strengthens community. Lots and lots of people. When a man and a woman are united in marriage, in a Christian marriage of, that reflects the love of God for his people, that oneness, that love, that security, that comfort, that refuge can be offered and shared with others. Often, um, again, in Anglican weddings, there's, there's this prayer which reinforces this purpose of marriage. May the, hosp- the prayer goes, may the hospitality of their home bring refreshment and joy to all around them. May their love overflow to neighbours in need and embrace those in distress. Of course, there is something special and intimate and private about each of these relationships. But there is also an abundance, an overflow, which you could hoard for yourself or you could generously give to others. Indeed, I've experienced this. I've benefited from this. Since moving away from my family, from my home, and moving here, I've been sustained so many times by so many different kinds of families within this church that they have opened their homes, extended their family life to include me. In their highs and lows, the authenticity has given me security and love to, to, to just recalibrate myself, that is an abounding love, as far as I can tell. 
And I think when a family in particular, or a friendship, or a home group, when their love abounds and abounds, when it's thought through, when it's deployed cleverly and thoughtfully, I think that is discerning what is best and what is pure. And I think they will be blameless for the day of Christ. Consider how your love could be better shared, more widely shared through your home, through your family, through your friendships. So love within family life is good. It's good for us as a community. But I think it's also missional. Now there's um, a story of... Uh, which includes this man. You may not recognise him. His name is Casper, Casper Ten Boom. You may have heard of his daughter, Corrie Ten Boom. Now, the Ten Booms were a family in the Netherlands, um, in the, uh, the city of Harlem. Uh, they were uh, around in the Second World War, and they were all uh, faithful Christians engaged in their community. And when the war started, they... Uh, began essentially rescuing, hiding and smuggling Jews um, away from the the Nazi um, oppression. And this was a family endeavour. They were all in it together, that their home, um, getting involved with this work was dangerous. All those around you could be, uh, if you you got found out, you could all be um, in trouble. But they were united in their love of the Lord Jesus and they were committed to the mission that he'd given them. But they were found out, they were betrayed, and uh, they were uh, arrested. Now, Casper, at this point, was quite old. He was incredibly frail. Um, And when the, the police, the authorities, saw that, they offered him, we see you're old. If you promise to go home and not do any any more of this, if you stopped helping the Jews, we'll just, we'll just leave it there. But, he said, if I go home today, tomorrow, I'll open my door to anyone who knocks for help. So he would rather die in prison, and he did, he'd rather die in prison than not offer his home as a sanctuary for others in need. That was how high he, with such high regard he had for the love that he shared through his home, through his family, that he considered it not worth having if he couldn't do that. Now I think it's because that this unity, this love that we see within marriage and family in particular, that's so powerful and so potent, that we need to give particular care for those for whom this love is broken either by bereavement or estrangement or abuse or relationship breakdown. How do you see your marriage, your family, your home? Do you share the good bits of that with others? Do you abound in love? having considered the me of how our private lives can be used as a vehicle for love let's consider the we how we as Belmont can abound in love Psalm 133 is a great psalm not very long at all but the first verse 
It begins with this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. We in Christ have become children of God. We've become his people. Through what Jesus has done on the cross, not only has he reconciled us to God, but also us with each other. How good and pleasant it is when Christians live together in unity. We're living out the whole reason why Jesus came to reconcile us to each other. We are united by Jesus. His love for us and our love for him and our love for each other. And in my opinion, there is nothing better, nothing more thrilling than enjoying healthy church life together. I love it. And I think that this is all part of the the purpose, the blueprint for how we are meant to be doing church. Um, Much of the the New Testament we kind of infer to apply to us. It's kind of like this prayer was written for Philippians in this particular time and place and we've kind of inferred it for us. But there are some examples where us, specifically, Jesus is referring to. And an example of that is John 17. Yeah. Um, he's talking about that all who will believe in the gospel in the future. And that is us. If you believe the gospel, Jesus is praying this prayer for you. He's praying about us to the Father. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that, they, that, the, world would, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Now there is so much in in that prayer that I think amazes me. But the thing I want to draw out for us now is that that this idea of us being so united that we are one, what Jesus was praying for. That is his purpose for us. That's what he wants from us. And when you think about it, the fact that even just us in this room are here together is astounding. Like I know some of you, I don't know others of you, but from what I do know of you, we come from completely different places around the world. We come from different backgrounds, different, we do different jobs, we have different education, we have different politics, we have different passions. I imagine that if we didn't have Jesus in common, we probably would never have bumped into each other. And even if we did, we probably wouldn't come together week on, week by week. And we probably, in some cases, not particularly get on with each other. But because we are united, because we are brought together by the love of God as his people, we are. Sam Albury is a, um, a pastor and a writer. And when he was talking specifically about uh, the local church, he says that our unity, our love for each other, our oneness, is to take after the Trinity. That so is our diversity. He continues. Jesus prays for our unity in the passage we've just read. The very unity he's already been talking about, unity grounded in the Trinity. 
The unity, unity we are to have as believers is the unity enjoyed by God the Father and God the Son. It reminds us that the unity of the church is not institutional, it's not man-made. It is unity in the truth of the message Jesus came to teach. Unity that comes as we are brought into relationship with God the Trinity. We get to join the oneness of God. So the love we share for one another. In the context of our differences, because we love each other, because we love despite our differences, in the midst of our differences, it reflects and it echoes and it joins in with the unity and the difference of the very being of God. And we see this reaffirmed in our prayer in Philippians. If you look even at just verse 11, we see the Trinity reflected there. The fruit of righteousness, which is the work of the Spirit, which comes through Christ and to the glory of God the Father. So in the same way that our households are to be missional, so is the family of God, so is this church. When speaking of his followers, Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If we are living in unity, living in love for one another, loving as a church community, visibly loving as a church community, this in itself will effectively proclaim the gospel. But... If we are disunited, if we're not loving, or if our love is superficial and, and fickle, surely that means we're undermining our mission in proclaiming the gospel. I've heard it said that there is a credibility of Christ in community. So I ask ourselves again, are we abounding in love? Finally, we're talking about abounding in love um, beyond this church. We know that the church, or I hope we know, that the church does not begin and end with the boundaries of Belmont. <clears throat> across this city, across this country, across this world, there are countless, countless expressions of Christianity. Countless denominations, traditions, styles, approaches, a huge diversity. If you were with us uh, this morning, um, Richard Judd very helpfully um, just walked us through the many different ways people, even Christians, can approach understanding any given topic, particularly our humanity. He explains why we end up disagreeing with each other. There are very good, real reasons why we've ended up in different places. Sometimes, though, this diversity, these differences, has actually become division, antagonism. I began this talk by talking about how our society, our culture, our politics has mainlined uh, and mainstreamed uh, hate and polarisation. And that was certainly the case, regrettably, in the history of the church, where different groups of Christians openly hated each other. And I'm glad that, for the most part, we now, certainly in this city, different denominations, traditions, we get along more or less okay. And actually, in many cases, we partner together for the needs of our community and to proclaim the gospel. 
But I think how we love different kinds of Christians, Christians that are different to us, that we perhaps disagree with, that love, I think, is going to become increasingly important. This, the world is becoming increasingly polarised, increasingly antagonistic, increasingly <clears throat> driven by hate, defined by hate. I think we need to be proactive in making sure we don't go the same way. It will take that proactivity to love, despite the differences. And that's easier said than done. Because the reason we believe what we believe, the reason we do the things we do, is because we think, like, in blunt terms, we think we're right. Otherwise we wouldn't do it, would we? We wouldn't think those things. We hold some of these things really dearly. We have really good reasons, really good, valuable, precious reasons why we do what we do. How can we abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight? Well, we cannot love what we do not know. So we should, therefore, I think, from time to time, make the effort to find out what other Christians believe and what they do and, and why. How do, how do they live out their faith? And we should grow in respect and knowledge of Christians who do things differently, even those we disagree with. We do so humbly and inquisitively, like with a kind of curiosity, genuinely eager to, to find things out so we can love them better, see where they're coming from, not to prove them wrong. We want to abound in love. Now, if you don't know any Catholics or Orthodox or Methodists or Pentecostals or Anglicans or whatever else, <coughs> um, there are books and blogs and podcasts and other resources which can help us just look beyond our own experiences, our own understandings, so we can understand where our brothers and sisters are coming from. How does their theology fit with their building design and how they conduct their services and so on? Does that mean we think they're all correct, we're all correct? Does that mean that differences in belief and practice don't matter? Or is it all inconsequential, really? No, not at all. Differences in doctrine can be profound. And notice in verse 10, that so that you may be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Love comes first. Discernment comes second. Discernment is important. Deciding these things is important. But love comes first. Love shapes how we go about that. And notice in, um, in, in the last verse of our passage, it talks about righteousness. I think that's righteousness in how we live, how we love, not in being right, not in being correct. I think it's a way, the way we go about this. And actually, I think if we, with good intentions, in good faith, in every sense of that word, we, I think we can learn from our brothers and sisters when we love them. The way they think about things and do things, they might help us to reevaluate how we do and think things, might help us to do what we do better. We can, for instance, see and appreciate and, and benefit from the depth of the theological um, depth of one church, and perhaps we can 
adopt for ourselves the community living of another and perhaps apply for ourselves the missional ingenuity of another still. Let's not think we've got it all figured out for ourselves. Now, this isn't easy. And when I reflect on the, my attitude to the united, whole, wide body of Christ, I know I've not, in uh, my thoughts, in my words, I've not acted always with love, grace and humility. We can so easily boast and just dismiss others. But we should seek to do as much as we can, with as many as we can. Like loving and embracing our brothers and sisters should certainly be our ambition wherever possible. And that any distance that we have, even if necessary, is regrettable. So let's not allow suspicion or hostility to fester within the bride of Christ. Do not speak badly of her. They are your brothers and sisters and God loves them just as much as he loves you. And later on in Philippians, in in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul teaches that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we know what the mindset of Christ Jesus is, as we've read it in John, is that we would be one. So let's see how we can abound in love wherever we can, beyond our church walls. But it takes effort. And it's not all on us. Ephesians 4 says, Be uh, completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The unity and the love that we share and we should be sharing with one another and beyond. We cannot muster it all ourselves is the work of God. We are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. But it is the Spirit's unity to make. And this is good news, I think. The pressure, that burden is not on us. It's not on us to to fix every bridge, to, to... reconcile every division but where we can wherever God's placed us we can try and make that effort to keep the unity of the spirit rather than make the choice to make the divide wider but also I think it's a warning too let's not get in the way of the spirit's work of growing those bonds of love between us so as we kind of draw together I want us to or can I encourage you to spend a bit of time to think, first of all, about how you could be abounding in love more and more. In the coming days, how could you open up your life, your home, your friendships, to the love of others? In the coming weeks, how can you unleash more and more love within this church community? In the coming months, what will you do to love Christian brothers and sisters from outside our circle more. We cannot possibly hope to grow in love in any of these areas without God. So as we draw to a close, 
can I recommend uh, some points um, that we can pray through? Pray that our personal lives will abound in love. Pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities and God will provide them. Will you be willing to offer that bit of closeness, that bit of security, that bit of, bit of something that's yours in love to someone else? That our Belmont family will abound in love. It's a time of everyone coming and going to pray for those who are on holiday. Pray for safety, pray for refreshment and growth. Pray for those who are staying, that they'll feel connected and feel a sense of peace. And pray for those who are preparing for changes in the autumn, um, be it school, university, um, jobs, whatever. And pray that the wider church, the widest understanding of church will abound in love. Pray for grace and wisdom and unity of purpose so that we may all uh, effectively proclaim the gospel of Christ.